Father, we thank you that your word, as we come to it, is infallible. But it's not only infallible, but it's sufficient. Help us believe that, to believe that the word is sufficient for life and godliness in all areas of our lives. Open our hearts through your spirit to be encouraged today, to be challenged today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have a birthmark somewhere on you? You don't have to tell me where. How many of you have a birthmark? When I was little, actually right after I was born, I'll tell you my story. Right after I was born, uh, the doctors brought me back to my mom, and my mom said, what's wrong with his head? Great first words, right? Glad I don't remember them. What's wrong with his head, doctor? Is he okay? And what she was observing, the doctor chuckled and said, no, he's fine. But at the top of my head, I didn't have any melanin, like right back there where your cow lick is, if you have one. And so I didn't have any melanin, so the doctor said, hey, he's fine, everything's good, but you, you, you need to know that like, when he starts growing more hair, it's going to come out white. And so he's going to have this like, spot on his head. Now, before you come up to me after the service and start like, looking at the top of my head because I'm short and you could see it, you need to understand like, that's faded a bit, and it's also, at this point in my life, blended just a little bit with some other white hairs. So it doesn't really stick out, but listen, when I was a kid, uh, this was a thing. And so I got nicknamed a lot of different things. I'm not going to share that with you, I promise. Um, I remember going to my mom. I mean, when you went and got a haircut, it was rough because they're like, hey, what, what's the deal with your head? Um, and I remember going to my mom, with my mom to, for, for her to get uh, to some salon to get her hair done one day. And the older ladies are sitting there. I'll never forget this. And they're asking questions about my head because I'm in a place like that. And they're like, oh, sweetie, it's okay. Like, we, we pay good money to have our hair colored. And I just remember t- turning to my mom, and I'm like, all these ladies with gray hair, they don't have their hair turned back the color that mine is. They have it turned a different color. So it wasn't really, uh, really doing it for me all the way growing up. I'm trying here. Y'all are rough. Y'all are rough crowd. But a birthmark. And I, I really had to deal with that all the way through childhood. And my mom and dad would say, though, like, if I'm in a crowd of a bunch of kids, it was easy to identify me by the kid with the white hair in the back. It was a way of identification. And, you know, Jesus had some things to say about identification in a sense of birthmark. How do people know Christians? There's a mark that Jesus speaks about, and it goes something like this. Jesus says, you will know my children by their fill-in-the-blank. Is it intellect? Is it the ability to argue your Christian position? Is it success? Is it health? Is it the ability to bait non-followers of Jesus? No, it's, you know it, love. Jesus said, you will know my children by their love for one another. But what does love really look like? Let me ask you a question. How do people identify you? Can they identify the the love that you have for for others and say that person might be a Christian? Or has your love over the years for whatever reason faded or blended to where it's hard to see? Self-deprecation works every once in a while. 
When you come to the book of Romans, chapter 12, we're in the book of Romans. We've been in it for a while. We're in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. If you don't mind turning in your Bibles there, page 948 on a Bible next to you on a seat, turn there with me. When we come to Romans 12, 9 through 21, what Paul's doing here is he's giving us an explanation about what legit love really looks like. And we need that because we live in a culture who defines love however we want to define it in a self-defining way. And it's important for us to really understand what agape love and what love biblically defined looks like. And this is a great passage because it shows us what love, as my old pastor used to say, love with skin on it. Here's what love looks like in action great text for us to not only know what love looks like, but to practice it in our own lives. He's laid the groundwork as you come to Romans 12. You saw the first 11 chapters, really a lot of theology and truths, and he says this. He says, in view of God's mercies, chapters 1 through 11, the gospel, the truth of God's mercies, that he's shown us his love and his grace through his son, that we come to him by faith. When you come to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, how are we to live? We're, we're supposed to be as Verse 1 says in chapter 12, living sacrifices. And we said the problem with a living sacrifice is it always wants to crawl off the altar. And he gave us two things about what it looks like to be living sacrifices. First, in the negative, he says, don't be conformed or don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be what? Transformed or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's given us this great instruction. Last week, Chris did a great job outlining what the gifts that we have that God gives us to serve other people and how that helps build up the body of Christ. And in this text, he's going to outline what love really is and what love really looks like in action. So let me read it for us. Chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Look at these commands. They're short and sweet and simple, at least on paper. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. It's a long list. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Really want to show you two legitimate things 
about love, real love, biblical love. The first one is this, legit love labors for those in Jesus' family. If you look at verses 9 through 16, the use of the word one another happens over and over and over. Legit love labors or it takes action for those around you in this room, in your church, in Jesus' family. Love is active. It's a verb. You ever heard the quote, actions speak louder than words? Or talk is cheap. This is what it's getting at. There, I see five things. There's a, there's a list here, right? So there's a lot of things. I see five identification markers. Birth markers for the Christian about what love with skin really looks like. Look at it with me there in verse 9. I think you see in the first part of love's, uh, in verse 9, love's quality. It's quality. It's genuine or literally without hypocrisy. It's not fake. It's not counterfeit, it's real, it's legitimate. Back in that day in the first century with Jews, one of the things about hypocrisy, it wasn't just he said this and then he said this and that doesn't match, it's hey, do you live out what you say? That's the idea of hypocrisy. So you see love's quality, that it's real, that it's legitimate, it's not pretentious. That we love both in word and indeed, and then the end of verse 9, you also see what I would call love's moral ethic. Abhor what is evil. Do you see it? Hold fast to what is good. So there's got to be some truthful definition of love. I want you to think about the world we live in and how we define love however we want. See, love is always connected to biblical truth. God is love, and he's shown his love and his incarnate son who's died on a cross for you and for me, and the power to love others through his Holy Spirit. Listen, God defines love. See, there's a moral ethic to love. Love is connected to truth. Do you abhor what is evil, or are you just desensitized to it? I'll give you some examples of what this might look like. You know when you're a kid, and, and all of us have been kids, and all of us have probably said these very words. When your kid comes to you, or a kid comes to a parent and says, if you love me, you'll let me do this. Ever heard that? And as a parent, you say, no, uh, because I love you, I'm not going to let you do that because it's wrong. I'm loving you by not letting you watch that movie. And what's the next thing that your kid might say? That's what I said. Well, Johnny's mom and dad love him a lot, and they let him do X, Y, and Z. You know what I've done at this point? And maybe this is bad parenting. Maybe this isn't loving parenting. I'm just like, Johnny's parents don't love him. <laughs> is that bad? Is that bad parenting? Johnny's parents don't love it. If Johnny's parents letting it do something that doesn't correspond with truth, that isn't right, they're not being loving, okay? In that moment. Careful. But we do the same thing when we're dating. If you really love me, you will do this with me sexually. If you really love me, you'll buy me a four-carat diamond. I went both ways with that deal. When you're married, the same stuff happens. It, just look, it may just look a little bit different. If you really love me, you'll do this, or you won't do this. The manipulation. And man, we live in a world where, wow, love is love. 
There's no definition to love that corresponds with truth. My love is my love, whether it's related to the person I want to be with. Hey, I'm married. I want to get a divorce because I don't feel love in my marriage. I'm going to go find somebody who loves me. Does that correspond with truth and commitment of biblical love? No, not at all. And we could go on and on and on. I mean, if you were to dare, if you were to dare to love someone enough to go, I love you enough to tell you that the path you're taking sexually is not God's design, you would be called a bunch of words in some situations. You would be canceled for showing love. See, love corresponds always with the truth. We need to believe that in our hearts as Christians. We need to believe that when we're tempted because of our feelings to go along with things in the world that we live in. It's a temptation. No, there's a quality to love. There's a moral ethic to love. There's also here in verse 10, look at it, there's a commitment to love. Outdo one another. There's not many places where you get to compete in the Bible. I'm competitive by nature. So I'm like, outdo one another? Outdo one another. Be competitive in loving one another the best and showing honor and respect to one another. Think about that as it relates to your church. Outdo one another. Do not be slothful. We get into it here. But look at, you're also going to see in verses 11 and 12, the expression of love. How does love come out? Look at it in verse 11 there. This is pretty amazing stuff. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Is he commanding emotions? Yeah. Counselors don't like that. That's what he's doing. Be fervent. Literally, let it boil over. Be fervent. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice and hope. Be patient in tribulation. This is love's expression. It ought to be fervent. It ought to make you boil as opposed to being lukewarm with love. And as opposed to being indifferent toward people, that you're passionate about loving them well. There ought to be a fire in your belly to actively love others, not an indifference. We struggle with this. And then look at verses 13 through 16, and I would just characterize it like this. Love's care. Look at all the ways that love's, love tangibly, with skin on it, cares. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's financial. That's service. Contribute to the needs of the saint. To be generous with other people in the church. To seek to show hospitality. Listen, um, I'll give you an example of this. Contribute to the needs. It's not even a need or, or even a want. Like, have you ever been lavishly given something, like incredible generosity from someone? You don't even know what to do with it? Last week, I got a phone call. I don't know about in the middle of your day, but my phone rings, and it's like the telemarketer, or it's some fake business. And I'm like, I'm not answering that. And I got a call and a voicemail, and sometimes you get those voicemails, like from what what they're posing as social security or whoever wanting your number and all these. I don't pay attention to any of that stuff, but I got a phone call and it went like this. My name's Austin. I work at Norwest Appliance and somebody bought you this thing and as a gift, but they want to remain anonymous. And I'm thinking in that moment, I'm going, okay, this is, they're trying to get me back on the phone. 
This is terrible. I'm trying to get me back on the phone so that uh, they can sell me something. So this one was different, though, a little bit. So I looked up the place, Norwest Appliance. It really existed around here. And um, the thing that they were wanting to gift me, I didn't quite know what it was. I had a thought about what it was. And then I looked it up. I'm like, that's pretty sweet if that's true. And I called, and I didn't get Austin. I got a, a lady, and she, somewhere in there, she starts giggling a little bit. I'm like, okay, this is a scam for sure. <laughs> and Austin called me back. And Austin said, no. And I said, hey, I'm just trying to figure out if this is legit or not. Um, can you tell me more? Because I really want to know. I'm Sherlock Holmes. I'm going to find out who, who's giving me this really nice gift. Y'all, um, Monday, he's like, look, I've got your address, I've got your phone number, um, and the person didn't want to know, you to know. And I've got this Yoder 640 pellet grill that I'm going to deliver on Monday between this time and this time. And that thing shows up, and I look it up, and I'm like, whoa. This is lavish, like lavish generosity. And I'm pretty sure it's somebody in the room. I'm going to find out who you are. But this is the church being generous, like lavishly generous. I'm pretty sure someone in here. I've got some, I've got some thoughts. If you don't know what a Yoder 640 pellet grill is, it's unbelievable. Like I've got an app on my phone and it Bluetooth and, it, and I can set temperatures to cook the brisket. So here's my plan. My plan is just to, when anybody comes over, to, to make you a brisket or pull pork or whatever, and so I can bless you back with the way that you've contributed to the needs of the saints. Blown away. Totally blown away with generosity. Hospitality. He, he, he talks about hospitality. I don't know if you've ever done a study in the Bible on hospitality, but when I read over it, it's just kind of like, okay, that's a thing. But it's, every, it's all over the Bible, it's all over the Bible in the Old Testament, in the culture of the Old Testament, where they would bring people into their homes, and it was considered rude. You come to the New Testament, and you see it's a qualification of an elder. That seems pretty important. And then you see in Hebrews 13, when you show hospitality, you open yourself up to other people, your home to other people, invite them into your world. It says, it, it does this thing in Hebrews 13. It says, the angels marvel at that, and they, they look and go, Wow. I don't even know what to do with that. Showing hospitality, I think as I think about hospitality, it, it's not only serving someone else, it's like inviting them into your world. Like the world that you live in, like when they walk in your house and they see the dirty clothes over there or the, the baseboards aren't finally clean, there's a vulnerability to hospitality, isn't there? And man, I look around and I go, people open in this church, open their homes all the time to one another with community groups and events and different things. That's the beauty of a Christ-like love for one another. It labors, it opens your world to other people. See, legit love serves. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says it this way. I think we have it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, actively, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Legit love serves. It's active. It's not just something we talk about. It's something we do. Love does. Can I say it this way? 
transformation, which is what Romans 12 is talking about, living transformed lives, transformation translates our biblical convictions into tangible action. When I was dating my now wife, I lived in Denton, Texas, and this is like in the 90s we're dating. In two, not 90s, not that old, I'm not that old. 2000s, early 2000s, we're dating. 90s and early 2000s, I get it right. And there used to be this thing where like in the morning you would go outside and you would pick up the newspaper out of the grass and you would open it up and you would sit down at the breakfast table and you would read it like in your hands. I don't do that anymore either. But newspaper. And you know, you flip through the news and you go to the cartoon section, which I always thought was fun. And um, we're dating. And there was this cartoon, maybe you've seen it, it's called Love Is. You ever seen these? These little, I've got a couple of them here. And um, cute little cartoon, Love Is, the one who helps you put the dark days behind you. Got another one. These are more recent. Maybe. Second one. Please. Anyway, cute, cute cartoons. The, the second one was really funny. I don't think we have it. It's about fake news, but maybe we'll get it. But love is, here's what I would do with those those little, I would cut them out on real paper. And when I would go visit Melanie, who lived four and a half hours away, I would put them at different places. I'd put them in her car. I'd put them in her Bible. I'd put her on her nightstand. I'm going to get in trouble because I don't do that anymore. We don't get the newspaper. But the, but the point of the, of the cartoon, the point of the cartoon is just to show you love with some skin on it. Like, here's what love really looks like tangibly to care for the needs of the saints, to show hospitality, to express it, to the commitment, the ethic. Here's what love really looks like, and that's what Paul's getting down to here, that legit love labors for one another, can I ask you, do you love with skin on it? Or do you just talk about it? Is our love active or is it indifferent? Does it take initiative or does it not? Do you invite people into your world? Do you invite people to lunch after church? Do you give money to your church or to ministries that bless people with the gospel? Do you give when someone needs help? When someone has a child or someone's parent or someone died in the family, do you take initiative to love them with a Christ-like love? Do you bring them a meal? Do you sit and listen to someone who's hurting knowing that it doesn't really fit your schedule that day? One of the things I love about this church that we're not only committed to the truth, like big truth of the scriptures, we're also, I just see a people just as big, committed to big love, to really loving and contributing to one another. And that's a beautiful thing to see. And I love that we love the scriptures. and We want to know the truth and live the truth. And that's a question maybe that you need to answer. Does my commitment to the high truths of the scriptures, is there a fervency, is they're a boil in my heart to, to demonstrate those truths, not in, only in my biblical convictions, but also 
and tangible action. I'll give you a few helps. There's this great book called Leading with Love by Alexander Strzok. And this is, for me, it's required reading of almost any leader that would want to be an elder or want to be in leadership in our church, that we're not just going to elevate gifts over character. We want to know that people are going to shepherd and love others well. Leading with love. The Hospitality Commands is a great little book. The Art of Neighboring. How do I, how do I show hospitality and care for others around me? Here's, there's some great ideas. Happy to give you those book reads um, after if you want. But here's the deal. It's a bit easy to love those who are lovable, isn't it? Like you look around this room and there's a lot of lovable people. There's a lot of lovable people, but what about the people on the outside? What about people who, they're just kind of people, they tend to be people who come after you with things and you can't even figure out why. Like they just like to fight to fight. Maybe it makes them feel. You got anybody like that in your life? Maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they're out in the world, whether it's at work or in your family, where they, you just feel like they've got something against you. I remember eighth grade football coach, and I loved football as a kid. Man, I was that kid. He just got me, and all my friends were like, hey, he's coming after you. He gets one kid every year, and he comes after You got anybody in your life like that? We just feel like, or, or maybe it's more than one person, like, man, they just, they just have it out for me. And maybe it's because of your faith. Maybe it's because of the way you love one another. Maybe they're convicted about that. I don't know. Maybe you don't even know. How do we treat those people? Because now our love is more tested, isn't it, with those kind of people. They, they don't show us love that we show them and don't reciprocate that. What does love look like there? Here's what Paul's going to do. There's two responses. Look at verse 17 through 21. 17 through 21, he says this, repay no one, evil for evil. And we live in a, in a world, in a culture that wants to repay evil for evil. Repay no one, Christian. Live peaceably as far as it depends on you. Never avenge yourself. Leave room for God. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. That's hard. Anybody go, hey, I do all those things all the time. Listen, the second point in this text is this. See, legit love not only labors for those in Jesus' family, legit love lets go and long suffers with the wrongs against them from a lost world. This is where it gets really hard. This is where it gets unnatural. This is where it gets supernatural that God would do a work in you to respond in these kinds of ways. And you go, well, you don't know my story. You don't know how I've been wronged. Remember who's writing this? Who's writing Romans? Paul. What did Paul experience from the world around him? Whipping, lashing, prison, shipwreck for the sake of the gospel from his own people. So he understands. And yet he still calls us to first let go. Don't curse. Don't repay. Live at peace. Don't avenge. And that's God working in your life. When you think about those kinds of situations you've been in, only the grace of God can be working for you not to repay, for you not to curse, for you not to avenge. Not only let go, 
So you're trusting God with justice when you let go, when you want the worst, when you want to avenge. This text says, no, God's going to handle it. God's going to bring justice one day. He's going to avenge. And we often, when we think about God's wrath, because it sounds really awful, we think, hey, this is good because that person's going to get way worse from God. That's often my attitude. But when you see God's wrath in the Bible, there's usually a long runway to it. And that's a hard runway when you go, when's it going to happen? When are you going to smite that person for what they did to me? See, there's a long runway because God wants to use sometimes you as you let it go and long suffer to let that be a light to that person that they might repent and turn. And it's not just letting go. I'm not going to sing Elsa for you. It's not just letting go. Kids got that one. It's not just letting go. It's long suffering. It's verse 14, bless those who curse. And then you come to verse 20 and 21, and you're going, what does that mean, burning coals on the head? This was an Egyptian practice that they would do, but here's the implication, that you you love them so much with kindness, even though they've done evil to you, that it pricks their conscience, that they're moved to repent and to change, potentially, because you don't repay evil for evil. You, You repay evil with And so that's the idea of these hot burning coals on the head that you would effectively, it's this picture of putting those coals on someone's head to heat it up that it might change. You know what I want to do with coals with people? I just want to throw hot coals at people. Wake up. Why did you do this? But the Bible says, no, love, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, thirsty, drink, Heat burning coals that he might change. Don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said it in Luke chapter 6 even more so. Listen to these words. These are hard words. These are not natural words to go, yeah, sign me up for that. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 46, but if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Do not even the Gentiles do the same to one another? Meaning those are the lowest moral people on the totem pole, and they do that with one another. That's low-hanging fruit. And then in Luke 6, he even goes further. We won't go there, but Luke 6, he goes further to talk about if someone hasn't done, turn the other cheek. I want to I be careful here because oftentimes we come to these kind of passages and you got a lot of yeah buts. What about this scenario? What about that scenario? People often use this text or these texts to talk about pacifism, like this social governmental structure, and they root it in these commands. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to do. I don't think that's what Paul's trying to do. I'm not a pacifist. If somebody comes into your home, Do you have the right to defend your family? If there's imminent danger, life danger, I say yes. I say you you should protect yourself. You should protect your family. If that were to happen, and I'll just tell you personally for me, if that were to happen where somebody is, there's imminent danger to my family, somebody comes in my home, I'm going to protect my family. So I don't think Jesus is talking about that. I also don't think 
that it always means, it, always, it doesn't always mean, hey, if I kill him with kindness, then it's all going to work out. It's just going to work out. Those coals are going to have that effect. I don't think Jesus is, and Paul is teaching that it always works out. I don't know about you, but there are a number of relationships in my life, in the brokenness of the world, that I haven't gotten all the way, all the way to reconciliation. That I've, I've gotten to consolation with God, that I've left it there and I've done as far as it depends on me to do all I can to make something right. And, and even there are situations that you know and maybe in your life where you go, hey, there's right and good boundaries here where never again can I go here. And some of those are right and good, especially with abuse and all these things. And so I'm, I'm trying to cover a lot of ground here. But that's still the aim, right? This, the aim is still reconciliation, even if you get consolation with God, even if you have to leave it with God. And I don't know about you, there's a number of relationships where I don't like the idea, or in the past, I haven't liked the idea that a Christian pastor or even author of a book about this said, well, Seth, like, you know, God will avenge. I'm like, I don't want God to avenge. I want to work this out. I want this to go well. But sometimes you have to have a posture of forgiveness and leave it with the Lord. I, I'll be candid with you. There's a relationship in my life in the last five years where deep, deep friendship, where there's deep, deep cut for both of us. And we have worked and worked and worked at trying to resolve it. And we don't have reconciliation yet. And um, it's not out of lack of working at it. It's just the brokenness of a situation. And my wise wife my wise wife at some point in this, knowing just all that it was doing in my soul and my heart to not be completely right with a friend. She said, hey, effectively, maybe you can't get here, but maybe you just need to let it go. Maybe you just need to bury the hatchet. Maybe you're never going to get all the answers that you want. Maybe he isn't either. But what about trying to start over? Clean slate. Man, that's hard. But you know, a couple days later, after dealing with my own pride, <laughs> she's right. And the Lord just working on my heart. I don't even know where that goes. This is somewhat recent. But I know this. When my friend and I talked, and I said, hey, how about this? I can tell you, and I don't even know how to explain this. I'm not a feeler. I don't even know how to fully explain this. There was just weight that just completely came off of me. And I sat in my office after talking to him and offering this olive branch. And like for a minute, I really don't know what to do with this. Like I breathed heavy for like a minute. And the best I can tell it was a lot of this release of bitterness and all this junk that I've been holding in. And I'm not saying this to push myself up. This has been a long time coming, and I don't even know where this goes. But I can't say this. There's a beauty in letting go. There's healthiness in letting go. There's a healthiness 
and long-suffering even when you want to throw coals. There's something that tangibly honors God in it. And I don't know your situations. I'm just sharing mine. Sometimes you got to step, you got to stop fighting. And sometimes you got to bury the hatchet and you got to start over. And always, always, you got to respond to evil with good. See, as a Christian, you've always got to believe that there is redemption whether it happens or not. And that's the problem with the culture we live in right now, that you're, the, the air you're breathing and I'm breathing, that I'm hearing when I turn on one news station or the other. And I don't care if it's injustice in the world, which is a real legitimate thing, and the solutions to injustices like racial injustice or inequalities. The solution on every news channel or most of them is not repay evil with good. It's not. The secular ideology that's creeping into the church with these matters is not repay evil with good. It's repay evil with evil. That's not the gospel, folks. Always our response is we've got to respond to evil with good. And that can happen in this text passively with prayer and a posture of forgiveness or actively in doing good, even to those who persecute you, even to those who are against you, that God might work. See, all of this has to do with our witness, both the way we treat each other in the body of Christ and, both, and also in the way we respond to the world around us. This is how we're a light. This is what Jesus says. Our best apologetic, the best thing we've got going is how we treat one another in the body of Christ. That's the best witness that you have. Well, legit love lets go. Legit love long suffers. Legit love labors. I want you to look at this list because this is a daunt. Just, just look at it. It's a daunting list. I mean, look at how simple it is. They're short. Look at how simple these imperative commands are. They're super short and super Simple to understand. They're not so simple to put into practice, are they? I mean, left to myself as I go through this, oftentimes my own love left to myself is fake. It's counterfeit. It's not real. Left to myself, I'm desensitized to evil in ways I shouldn't be. Left to myself, do I love with brotherly affection? Left to myself, I outdo other people's and other kinds of competitions like at a men's retreat and dodgeball and dudes are trying to figure out who I am like I'm their pastor but I just want to peg them with a dodgeball. <laughs> Take their head off. Like, win at ultimate frisbee at all costs. Sorry, Tyler. Sorry, brother, I love you. I'm confessing. So like, yeah, I mean, look at the list. Am I fervent or am I, am I indifferent? Are you fervent or are you indifferent? Do you contribute to the needs of state? Are you stingy? I mean, oftentimes I want to be stingy with my time and my money and my resources and my, the way I serve. Do I want to invite people into my home? And do I want to throw coals or do I want to just kill people with kindness? 
Do I want to let go or do I want to avenge and be right? And there's nothing natural left to yourself about pulling this off. You can't pull this off. But I know someone who did. You know someone, many of you, who did. See, this list oozes the life of Jesus. It oozes the example of Jesus and what Jesus did for you. He labored for you. He labored on a cross. Instead of defending himself, he told Peter to put up the, put up the knife before Festus and, and Pilate. He was silent. And before a mocking crowd, he long suffered and he said what? Forgive them, they know not what they do. And he died, not for his own sins, because he was sinless. He died for your sins, and he died for my sins. See, Jesus labored. He let go, and he long suffered for an undeserving people like you and me. That's love. That's the greatest picture of love in the gospel. Do you know that message? Listen, until you know that message, there's no way you got a shot at any of this list. Until you've experienced the love of Christ forgiving you and restoring you and giving you new life. Maybe you know the name Bob Goff. Anybody know that name? Wrote the book Love Does. New York Times bestseller. Christian. Listen, if, if Bob Goff and I sat down, there would be a lot of things that I would disagree with Bob Goff on. He's a believer. We disagree theologically on some things. This is kind of an extreme example, but it's a beautiful example, too. Here's a guy who decided midlife, he's a lawyer, has a practice. He's just going to say yes to actively pursuing kingdom rather than just spending 90% of his time arguing about theological hairs. And I think he's gone a bit too far. <laughs> and some of his ecclesiology and what he thinks about Bible study. But listen, this guy's active. And this book, Love Does, that he wrote, it's just recollection of story after story where he just said yes and said, I'm going to love people in the name of Jesus that are in front of me. I, I want the kingdom to be affected by my love for other people. He started a nonprofit called Restore international, and it helps children know the gospel in Africa and India, but it helps rescue them out of the injustice of it. Here's a guy who said, I'm not just going to sit in the pew. I'm not just going to study theology, even though you should. I'm going to do something. I want my life to count for something, because love does. It's active. It labors. It lets go. It's long-suffering. So here's my question to you. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? When, you're, when people are sitting at your memorial service someday, be encouraged, we're at church, right? When, somebody's, when people are sitting at your memorial service someday, your kids, your wife, your friends, your church, your coworkers, when they're sitting in those chairs, what are they thinking about you? 
What do you want them to think about you? When the stories are shared about your life, are they going to have to work hard to find things to say? Or are they going to be able to say, this person was so touched by the mercies of Jesus that by his grace they lived this transformed life where they knew God and they knew the truth, but they loved well, that they labored hard, that they cared for others, that their life was a witness because they loved so well and they kept short accounts. That's the kind of life that's outlined in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. Will Romans 9, 12, 9 through 21, by God's grace and his grace alone, be your epitaph? So here's your takeaway this morning, both individually and as a church who loves well, who believes the truth well but loves well, we want to leave a legacy Legacy of love, marked by a Christ-like love. We want to leave a legacy marked by Christ-like love. Amen? Let me pray.